Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we take this moment to focus our minds, our attentions, and our heart toward you, toward the voice of your Holy Spirit. And I pray during this time that we would hear and respond. We would find uh, the grace to surrender to you today through the voice of your Spirit. And I pray that as I uh, attempt to expound on the Scripture and on this story, I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would say more than I'm saying. Let us all hear what you have to say to us today and see what you want us to see. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Today I've entitled the message, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go Tell It on the Mountain. There obviously is a song that we hear a lot during this time of year by that title and with those words. The chorus is, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. Everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, and what what are you telling? And that is that Jesus Christ is born. I don't have this verse up, but one of the verses says, Down in a lonely manger, the humble Christ was born. We talked last Sunday about the humility of the manger. And God sent our salvation, and that should have been capitalized. That blessed Christmas morn. And, and that's what we celebrate during the Christmas season. And now it's incumbent upon us that we would go tell it on the mountain. Uh, today, what we're going to do, we're in a moment, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to take a look 12 years after the birth of Christ. We're going to fast forward 12 years and take a picture at a, or take a look at a story or a picture of what's going on. In other words, what we're going to do today is we're going to move beyond the manger. And you've, you've heard me say numerous times, thank God for the manger. We talked about that last Sunday. Thank God for the manger and the implications of the manger and what that means to us in, the, in terms of forgiveness and sacrifice and salvation. But we should never leave Jesus in the manger. And sometimes I think that people would rather respond to that baby than the king. And the Lord. So we're going to move beyond the manger, not not a, a huge distance, but we're going to move beyond uh, the Christmas scene, and we're going to read Luke chapter two. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse thirty nine, and uh, this uh, will get us to the end of uh, this story, and also get us to the end of chapter two. Uh, if you would stand while while we read this passage, uh, do I have a slide for that, Aiden? I guess I don't. Never mind. Uh, 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. Now, this is obviously right after Simeon and Anna greet them in the courtyard in the temple. Uh, into the, and they returned to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they return, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or some of your versions say, will say about my father's business. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You can be seated. Twelve years old, twelve years after the birth of Christ, the father's business or the father's house. Obviously, the story teaches us it's important that we notice a few things along the way. And that is, first of all, that they went to Jerusalem every year. Every year they went according to custom. And we live in a day when we have a lot of voices that are telling us that what we do on a regular basis or what we we gather in a place like this that's not necessary and we should quit doing those things. And uh, I, would, I just want to let you know, they went every year. The Bible says Jesus, as was his custom, went to the synagogue. That's extra. They went every year to the Feast of Passover. It was a very important time in the family and in the nation of Israel. And this particular time, for whatever reason, why why he didn't do it when he was 11 and why he didn't wait till he was 13, I don't know. But at this particular time, Jesus chose to stay behind. And and we know what he was doing. He went to the temple. But he stayed behind. Of course, they, they travel on down the road. The Bible says that they traveled a day's journey. And I'll let you know that's about 20 miles. So they've traveled 20 miles. And then they start saying, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Who's, and you gotta remember, and in, 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 you see in the scripture, it talked about their, their relatives and their acquaintances. So this would have been a large company of people traveling into Jerusalem and then traveling back to Nazareth. So he could have been any, any number of places, uh, and they wouldn't have known. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing they did when they stopped and realized they didn't know where he was. They started searching for him among the, the company of people that were with them. Now, I don't know, nobody here has ever done this before. Now, that one right there, Nate Dog, we, we, we commonly call him Nate. When he was one year old, we lived in Mobile, Alabama. And my wife and her sisters and her mama and a whole bunch of people went to the mall. And they got out and they went into the mall. Now, y'all, we can't get arrested for this now, so I'm going to tell you about it. And they got inside the mall and they started looking around and said, who's got Nate? Well, I thought you had Nate. Well, I thought you had Nate. Nate was still in the car. Oh, no. Asleep. Why, how'd that happen? Because that one thought that one had him and that one thought that one. Anyway, that's why he acts the way he does, Sendel. It's happened, it happened with Jesus and his parents. So they, after digging around in the in the group, they decided they couldn't find him. So we got to go back to Jerusalem. So they go back to Jerusalem, and here's the key. They looked. 
They searched for him for three days. Don't forget that. We'll come back to that. They searched in Jerusalem for three days for Jesus. And finally, somebody, we don't know who, said, maybe we ought to go over to the temple and see if he's there. Sure enough, there he is, sitting down. The Bible says, don't miss this. I can't explain all this, but the Bible says he was listening to them. Son of God, Messiah, perfect. He was listening to the folks in the temple and then, and he was asking them questions. Son of God, Messiah. And then it says the very next verse, it says they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. We don't know at what point Jesus, as a boy, begins to realize who he really is. We don't know. I don't believe he was born as an infant in swaddling cloth that he knew at that moment. They knew. But at some point, he begins to either get an awareness or the Father begins to reveal to him. And by now, this is certainly, I think he certainly has a clue that he's the Messiah. And so he begins conversing with these folks. And wouldn't you like to have the cliff notes from that meeting? (laughs) And so they find him and their humanity is so clear. Mary, of course, mama's the first one to speak up. Why have you treated us so? Now, can you imagine talking to the Messiah that way? But remember, they have changed his diapers. I mean, whether you like it or not, Jesus did have normal bodily functions. They did feed him, take care of him. And, of course, now this is 12 years later. And they're human beings. They are human beings, flawed, imperfect human beings. Why have you treated us so? Maybe the 12-year period of time has caused their memory to fade. Yeah, we know the angel told us that he was going to be Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, but so far he'd just been a boy. Not a bad boy, just a boy. Now, some of us have different definitions of what a bad boy is. If you raise four sons, you have one definition. i just say it that way. <laughs> it's interesting... It says, they said, his parents were astonished. He said, why have you treated us so? And, of course, he tells them, don't you know or didn't you know that I, I must be about my father's business or I must be in my father's house? Did you not know? Now, he's not badgering them. He, he's 12 years old. He's going... You didn't know? And, of course, there the, the word in the text for father's business, father's house is interchangeable. The Bible says they did not understand. Young people, I'm going to come back to you, too. A lot of times you think your parents don't understand you. That's because they don't. You say, my parents don't understand me. Well... Jesus' parents didn't understand him either. And he was perfect. What do you think your parents got to deal with? 
And whether you believe it or not, I was one of those. I was 12 years old one time. Somebody said, I don't believe that. You were Abraham Lincoln back then. but No. They did not understand what he was talking about. He, but here's a, here's a boy who's 12 years old who's already, everybody say already. He's already on a mission. He's already mission minded. I laugh about their daughter, our granddaughter, Emmanuel. Emmanuel walks around the house. This girl has always got a mission on her. She, you can see it in her eyes. She's always on a mission. She, somebody said she's her grandmother replicated. That one right there. Jesus is already on a mission and he knows it and he's talking with these folks. He understood at that point probably that much of his earthly ministry was going to be that of teaching because he was called more than once the teacher. And so he's sitting at the feet of these learned men, scholars asking questions and listening to them. And then it says this, He went with them and was submissive to them. Young people, you say your parents aren't perfect? The Son of God was submissive to his imperfect, non-understanding, didn't have a clue parents. So you just describe my parents. Don't don't nod your head because your parents will see you. And yet, in his perfection, he chose to submit himself and be obedient to his parents. We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, perfect Messiah. Can't miss that. And then here's Mary treasuring again. Remember when the shepherds came and told her, The good news, the Bible says Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Well, now she's doing it again. She must be a treasuring person because now she's she's taking all of this because we all know she didn't know then, but we know now she was going to need those treasures one day. And she's treasuring in her heart. And basically what he's telling her, what Jesus is telling them, he, he says, why didn't you look here first? Why didn't you look here first? They they went three days looking for Jesus. And he's saying, you should have known to look here first. Because I'm on a mission. And that mission is to extend the kingdom of God in the earth. And to, to pronounce and extend salvation to all mankind that would receive it. And so then that brings us to us, brings to, to us because we are about our father's business. We're beyond the manger. We're beyond the warm and fuzzies, although we should always have warm and fuzzies, but we're beyond the season. We're one day beyond, but we're beyond the manger. And now we're saying, what's next? Where do we go? Where does this message, where does, does this story go from here? It goes To Jesus, knowing at 12 years old that he would be about his father's business, and then you and I, seeing his example, that we would be about our father's business. And I know most of us, if not all of us, are, but we need to continue to be about his business. And if we're not, we need to change. 
Jesus leads by example when we talk about obeying the Father and being about the Father's business because Scripture says that after John the Baptist was arrested, it says from that time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Mark uh, gives us the same uh, the same verse or the same account when he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. How do we know the time was fulfilled? He was there. He was. The fulfillment of time, and he came proclaiming a good news. What was the good news? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is accessible. Why is it accessible? Because I am the king, and I am here, and this is the good news. The good news is you've been living under darkness. You've been living under elements that the enemy would perpetuate in our culture. But I'm, I'm the bearer. I'm the king of a kingdom with different qualities, with better qualities. I'm bringing a kingdom that is known by love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. I've come to bring and to be a king who is benevolent and not badgering and not abusive. That's the kingdom of God that I'm bringing. And you, how can you be a part of this kingdom? Well, he told Nicodemus, you you must be born again. And then you can see this kingdom. Jesus sets that example. I mean, that's, that's the early part of his ministry. He's proclaiming the gospel the good news about a new kingdom with a new power and a new character represented by a new king, not really new, but new to us. So we, now we have, our mission is to go tell it on the mountain. Our mission is to proclaim that gospel. Our mission is to perpetuate that message. How shall they hear? Romans 10, we're not going to turn, but Romans 10 Ask the question, how shall they hear? And I want to say to us today that God's salvation economy is such that we bring the message. We bring the gospel. It's not, now God can do anything he wants to, and I've heard of him doing things outside of his economy. But his economy is basically this. You and I have the gospel in our mouth. We proclaim the gospel and God responds and people respond. In other words, you and I, God's people, are part of the equation. Part of the equation. How shall they hear? Who, who are, who's the they? The they is anybody that needs the salvation of Jesus Christ and to see and be a part of the kingdom of God. How shall they hear? How shall they call on him? In whom they haven't believed. How, how are they going to call on the Lord Jesus if they haven't believed in the Lord Jesus? Well, how are they going to believe in him of whom they have not heard? You say, well, everybody in the Bible Belt has heard of Jesus. Well, maybe so. 
But let me just, I'll get to it in a moment, but let me just tell you something. When you share the gospel with someone in some way, supernatural things take place. I'll tell you this. If you've got someone who is close, hanging around the creek bank, about ready to slip in, if you've got someone who really wants to solidify their faith, who's really, anyway, here's what you do. You hand them a Bible, if they don't have one, and you tell them, do not start reading in Genesis. Because what does a person, especially OCD people do, what do you do? You pick it and go to the first page. Please tell them, please don't start reading in Genesis. Matter of fact, if you can, give them a New Testament. Don't start reading in Matthew. You start at John 1, 1. Tell them. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you a promise. Holy Spirit had to back it up. If they'll start reading in John 1, 1, by the time they get to the last verse of chapter 21, in most cases, they will have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior just by reading the Gospel of John. This gentleman right over here has all kind of little Bibles he'll give you. Life reference manuals. Give those out. Read the book of John. How shall, how are they going to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone to herald the truth? I changed it from the word preaching because then you think, well, they got to have papers for that. Heralding the truth does not require clergy papers. How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't tell them the truth? And how are we going to proclaim Unless we are sent. Well, that's the problem. How are we going to proclaim the gospel unless we're sent? Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Thus, we've taken care of that. If you breathe the breath of God, if you've been a recipient of the gospel that transformed your life and caused you to be born again and to cause you to see and be a part of a kingdom of God, that has come to earth through the hands and feet and life of Jesus Christ, then you've been sent. Everybody say, I've been sent. You've been sent. Don't wait for anybody to send you. You've already been sent. Just the way God sent me, Jesus said, God sent me to the earth. Well, he's sending you to the world. He's sending me to the world. And remembering that Romans 10 also makes this statement. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. We think faith comes by information. And information is very helpful and necessary. But faith comes by hearing. Not just hearing audible sounds, although that's required. But hearing right here. Faith comes by hearing because there is an inherent supernatural quality to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of the kingdom of God that he preached. Paul writes in Romans. He said for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first also to the Greek. I want to point out that it does not say the gospel brings us to the power of God. Or that the gospel creates an atmosphere where the power of God can come in. It says the gospel is. Everybody say is. You sound like Bill Clinton. You know what he is, he is. Anyway, we got political there. 
The, the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. When we share the truth of the gospel with people, supernatural takes place. Supernatural takes place inside. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's the message. The question we have to ask ourselves is how many of us are in the secret service of God's army? How many of us, I used to, when I was in high school, uh, you know, there was a bunch of us Christians that would hang out and, uh, I'd carry my little Bible around. I had friends that I knew were Christians. They were at church every Sunday. They were part, active parts of their church, but they didn't want anybody to know. And so they wouldn't sit with me because I'm sitting there with a Bible. I'll give this to my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. They would. They'd sit with me. But some of my others, the people I went to church with, no, I don't want anybody to know I'm oh, secret service. Is it possible there's no such thing as the secret service in God's kingdom? Because God said, you either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm done with you. If you're lukewarm, I haven't got any use for you. If you're playing games today, either in this room or watching online, if you're playing games, stop it. Because God hadn't got any use for lukewarm. He ain't got any use for secret service. But he's got plenty of use for a kingdom Jesus follower who is committed to the gospel of God. Remember the shepherds came back or they went to, uh, let's see, I know it's in here somewhere. It says, and when they saw it, when they went to the manger and they saw Jesus lying in the manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child by the angel. And all who heard it, so there must have been more people there, obviously. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Or you could say they were amazed at what the shepherds told them. They told the truth about what they saw. And then when they got back home, which is out in the field with the sheep, when they got back home, it says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Now, they weren't doing that so for the sheep's benefit. There were people there that they were saying, look, what this is what we saw. Better yet, this is who we saw, the Messiah. And then you got this anonymous woman at the well. One of the most prominent figures in Scripture. We have no name except the woman at the well. And Jesus has that, I'm not going to go through it, but he has that conversation with her. And give me some drink water and I'm the Messiah and that, that, that. And she, you know, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. No, you don't. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And she said, I perceive you are a prophet. And because of that conversation, and because he presented himself as the solution, she ran back into the city 
Well, she's out there at the well in the middle of the day. And why is she out there in the middle of the day? Because she wanted to be by herself for obvious reasons. And she tells everybody who would listen, come see a man. Everybody say, come see a man. How hard is that? Come see a man who told me everything about myself. Come see a man. You gotta, you, you gotta know this guy that I met. He's up there at the well right now. Come see that man. Come see a man. And she's going through the city sharing the gospel that she barely knew herself. The good news. What was, the good news is the Messiah sitting up there by that well. Come see a man. And the result. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So well, I'm not a preacher. I don't have a super testimony. She had a five-minute testimony. But she went and shared. Come see a man. Man, you're talking about the gospel. So we finish up with this idea of declare it or proclaim it. Matthew says, Jesus said in Matthew, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, proclaim on the housetops or shout it. Some versions say shout it from the housetops. He said, whatever I tell you in the dark, what in the world is he talking about? Well, the dark there, and he's speaking to his disciples in a place where they're going through or about to go through some very difficult times. You think you got it rough. Just go back and look what they went through. And it really is a word that means spiritual darkness. It describes everything that's earthly or demonic and is at enmity with God. So in the context of that life, in the context of those circumstances, Jesus says, now what I whisper in your ear, what I whisper in your ear while you're in that context, you go tell somebody. Proclaim it from the housetops. And then he says, even in persecution, these folks still publicly proclaim the truth. Jesus, in talking about hearing in your ear, is alluding to a practice by what they called Jewish doctors of that day. Uh, who had an interpreter everywhere they went. They had an interpreter with them. And what they would do is they would whisper into the ear of that interpreter. Why they did this, I can't tell you. They would whisper into the ear of that interpreter their doctrine or their teaching, and that interpreter would in turn deliver that message to the people. So think about this. You're what they called a Jewish doctor. They would whisper into the ear of an interpreter, and then the interpreter would proclaim the message. So that's what Jesus is alluding to. So here we go. Whatever I whisper in your ear by the voice of the Holy Spirit, you proclaim from the housetops. You you are the interpreter. You are the proclaimer. You are the bearer of the message. There's an example of this in... Uh, Samuel 9, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came. The Lord had spoken to Samuel's ear. I want to tell you that you and I both have access to the voice and the power 
of the Holy Spirit. We, we all do. If you're born again, if you're not, then you, you can be. But we all have access to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is counting on you and counting on me to hear, regardless of our life circumstances, regardless of the difficulty that we're going through or the difficulty we're not going through. Jesus is counting on you and counting on me to hear that message and to be that interpreter and to proclaim that message. Go tell it on the mountain. Proclaim from the housetops. That's our, that's our role. And that's where we find ourselves post the manger, beyond the manger. And then we have this. We proclaim good news. The angel said good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And this is really the best part. Which will be for, everybody say all. All the people. This is good news of great joy for everybody. He said, who should I share the gospel with? Everybody. And I'll qualify that by saying everybody that God causes you to cross paths with and gives you an opportunity. Good news of great joy, which is for all the people. So I don't know who's going to accept Christ and who's not going to accept Christ. It's not our business. What is our business? Go tell it on the mountain. Proclaim the good news. And think about this all started a 12-year-old Messiah in the temple. I need to be about my father's business and in my father's house. And then he, 18 years later, he shows up preaching the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God. And sets example for us. And then, and then of course, we didn't even cover the fact that the last thing he said on earth to his followers were, was to go and make disciples of all nations. Here we are. What are we going to do? I pray we're going to do what we're called to do and what we're sent to do with the message of God in our mouth. Stand with me.